here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Yes, your ears do not deceive you. It is uh, Rob back again for a somewhat rare appearance at the moment. Although it's it's been a bit more regular recently. Um, it was originally going to be Ollie and Arn. Uh, Ollie is here. Hello. Uh, but unfortunately, Arn has some work stuff that is uh, done a run in on him and uh, prevented mm. him from both making the uh, Ali Pali show for progress and also, uh, more importantly, far more importantly, recording this podcast. So I'm, I'm gutted for him. I'm gutted. <laughs> Um, Good to talk to you, though, Rob, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I was at the Ali Pali show. Um, Ollie, you weren't. Uh, for some reason, Progress's magnificent storytelling didn't drag you into this show. Um, despite James Drake's magnificent heel work, for some reason, it didn't force you to buy a ticket. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, your sarcasm uh, dictates the tone of the podcast, I think. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> At I, least the first bit. Uh, to, to, to pull back the curtain a little, uh, I've just had half an hour of Skype issues after a um, an update, so I am more grumpy than usual, and I'm usually very grumpy, so uh, that's a little of what to expect for the next hour and a half or so. Um. So yeah, we'll start with uh, Progressors Chapter 55. Uh, they're calling it their biggest show ever, but it's probably their second biggest show, because I'm pretty sure Brixton had a few more people. They're around the same number. They're both right around the 2,000 mark. I think mm-hmm. Brixton was slightly over 2,000, while this one was slightly under. Although this probably had a bigger gate, because I think the prices are a bit higher. Um, Certainly an impressive crowd number, however you slice it. Yeah, yeah. Um, although we'll, we'll get on to um, crowd numbers and potential ambition later in the, <laughs> in the show, yeah. um, uh, as uh, Progress announced their their uh, plan for next year midway through this show. Um, since I was at the show and you weren't, and this is before um, it will have dropped on demand, uh, I'll, I guess I'll I'll try and run through things fairly quickly, catch Ollie up to speed. I assume you've seen results and stuff. Um, but uh, go into a few of the intricacies, a few things I took away, um, and then we'll have more of a broader discussion on um, progress at the moment. 
Um, so firstly, uh, venue looked lovely, um, but the sight lines really weren't great. Um, uh, now, to I think be... that was going to be inevitable with the flat flooring. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, I was sat on the very back row, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, like I don't think if I'd have been midway through that block with st- people still in front of me, that would have drastically helped. Um, I am admittedly not the tallest of people. I, I clock in right around uh, five seven. That's uh, six two in worker height. But uh, unfortunately, um, that doesn't make viewing wrestling the easiest for me. Uh, but it wasn't just me. It was a pretty common problem. It was all just big blocks of chairs with you know a lot of rows, which you know you're going to get when you pack two thousand people into a room. Uh, all completely flat, no tearing at all. So if you're not the front for a few rows, views could be a little difficult. Um, now, thankfully, uh, unlike usual progress shows, um, they you had like a special Titantron, not just the the usual like uh, display. Um, and during the matches, they they had a live feed of uh, the camera on the ring, um, which was. A real improvement um, in that, like, if I couldn't see, which was most of the time, I could just <laughs> turn and look at the screen and watch the match on the screen. But uh, I think it was Keir that tweeted out, I've paid 35 quid to watch Demand Progress here. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's kind of what I ended up doing. Uh, did they have the screen for Brixton? I wasn't I wasn't there. I, I think they did, yeah. They did have a screen. Okay, that's like, it. it was good in that, like, if there hadn't have been the screen, I would have literally seen nothing, or I'd have had to like get up and, and stand and work walk, walk, walk my way around. And even then, it would have probably been a bit difficult. Um, but so yeah, the screen was good, but it, it kind of that the screen was necessary. Perhaps it isn't the the biggest positive for the venue. Um, but you know, you can. They're not running there again last year, unless they decide to do two big shows. Uh, next year, unless they decide to do two big shows. So it's not like going to be an ongoing problem. But uh, in terms of the look, the, st- the uh, venue was lovely. It was a bit hard to get to, but other than that, uh, it was nice. Um, and they had a really nice setup, really. Uh, I think it will look really good on uh, tape. Um, so to get to the matches, and this is where... I realise I haven't brought up the card, so I'm going to have to do it from memory. <laughs> uh, you kick things off with your general... Actually, um, this is something that will look really cool on um, on tape. Uh, they they had a video package, and you know how they now start off their shows with like the super, super long intro? Because not only do they have uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls uh, and Jim's long monologue, but they also always have now started from the bottom. Now we hear play in full for like four or five minutes while people like pace around the ring and everyone kind of goes, oh, when is this going to uh, <laughs> show finally going to start? Um, yes, I am very grumpy today. Um, but, um, they, they had a, a video package uh, that featured basically the highlights of every single chapter. Yeah, that's cool. Um, for like a few seconds of each chapter, I think they've they've posted it on their Twitter now. Um, but uh, it was like a few seconds from every single chapter, like the the most exciting thing that happened on that chapter. 
going right from when they started in 2012 up to now. Uh, and it was just a really cool way to, to set up the show. Um, and, like, it, it did kind of have, like, a, wow, progress really has a, come a long way to get to this point where they're, they're running, you know, a major venue. Um, so that was a good start to the show. Um, we did, the first matchup was a ladder match between uh, hashtag CCK and uh, British Strong Star, Trent Seven and Tyler Bate, in which CCK uh, won the belts back. It was a good match. Um, I, I'm not the biggest ladder match guy. Um, there are a few really like vicious, cool spots. One was um, a ladder uh, laid flat, but on its side. Um, so it was like higher up than if it was just flat. Uh, and Trent like straddling it and giving, uh, I think it was Lykoff, but it might have been Brooks, a dragon suplex onto the ladder. Mm. That was absolutely brutal. Um, another one was uh, Lykos doing the, the Shelton Benjamin on a <laughs> ladder like draped across the ropes. It was a good match. I don't think it was uh, great. It wasn't matching the night for me. Um, but I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, and I'm glad to see CCK win back the belt. But the reaction it got, while it was good, I couldn't help but think it would have been so much better if this was the first time they won the belts, because you can only win the belts for the first time once, and they did yeah. that and then flipped the title straight Diminishing back. returns, and after so many months, I think they have cooled down a bit on it. Um, I mean, we'll get to talking a little bit about that and the build to this show a bit later, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, that's you know that's not even a, a one-off thing for this show. It A lot of the title wins were like, Wow, this should be a big moment, but we've already seen it. And, you know, be it in a different promotion with pretty much the exact same story, um, or just seen it in earlier shows and then flip the title back to the previous champion just so they could then again lose them at this show. Um, so while it was nice to see uh, CCK get the big win on the big stage, as I said, it would have felt so much better if this was their first win in progress um, of the titles and the first one uh, beating British Strong Star. Uh, but this one did feel somewhat more definitive. Um, so then, second match was another title match. Uh, Dahlia Black versus Tony Storm. This was fine. Um, like, to throw like a star rating at it, it was, uh, I think... Three and a quarter star uh, was where I ended up on it, as opposed to the, the opener I was at three and three quarters. Uh, so that's kind of a, and it was, it didn't feel big. It just kind of felt like a match, and it was good because uh, Dahlia and Tony are both good, but it, it didn't feel big. It didn't even feel that important. It kind of just felt like they had to have a a women's title match on this show. Mm. I, d I do think they're doing good stuff with Tony Storm, though. Like, it's not time for, like, her biggest matches just yet. They're still building her up, but they're doing a good job with that. Um, like, I feel like her as champion feels significant, which maybe the other champions in the company didn't going into this show. Sure, sure. Um, and I, 
I actually think this was one of the the better builds on on the card in that it was very simple. It was just Dahlia won some matches and was on a bit of a winning streak. Tony Storm, no one's been able to beat her since she mm. won the title and a bit before that, obviously, because she was in a tournament to get to the final of the title for the title. Um, and it was just two people who'd won a lot facing each other, and like that's kind of the the simple wrestling storytelling I like, rather than having a challenger go on a losing streak um, before he wins the title. But uh, yeah, the match it did kind of come off a little bit as an afterthought, but you know it was it was a fu- it was a good match, but it, it was nothing special. Um, I don't think anyone will remember it a month from now or whatever. Um, moving. On um, here's where I struggled to remember what was on. The... Was it Zach's open challenge? I think it next. was. Yes, and here I was kind of a victim of my own expectations because I had worked myself into a shoot. Yeah, with Leono, Chris Hero. <laughs> because it made so much sense. He's here yeah. next weekend for ICW. Progress have just been over with NXT, or you know, uh, I think it was Jim and Glenn, not not John, um, were over with NXT in a consulting role. Um, yeah. Um, and it was Skrull, and, like, he got a great reaction, but I couldn't possibly care. Like, I see Skrull all the time, and I've seen Skrull versus Sabre so, so many times now, (laughs) and it hasn't been good for ages. What what was the last Marty Skull match in progress? Do you remember? What was his last appearance? Uh, was it unboxing? It was the Thunder Bastard match, and he got eliminated like third, and that was it. <laughs> Never oh, saw him again. I didn't remember that at all. Uh, I remembered him tagging <laughs> with with Saber in unboxing. Yeah, yeah. that was, was that was a fun appearance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but the last match was, was throwaway Thunder Bastard. <laughs> this was just there like these two can have really good matches they do in general tend to be overly long but if you that the high stakes match they had perfectly encapsulates that it was way way too long it was like 45 minutes or something but like the last 25 minutes was so exceptional <laughs> that like overall Imagine I loved that. it. Just <laughs> 25 like, minutes of a very good match. <laughs> yeah, it's like that That should just be a very good match. Like, what are you doing? Um, but they, this was just, it was there. Like, Sabre worked with no edge. Skrull was kind of just running through his stuff. They did a few fancy technical things. Which made you go, oh, that's nifty, but like it was just happening, and like the the crowd were into Marty's like um, signature stuff because Marty has now got over to a level um, being aligned with the Young Bucks and stuff that he's kind of mm. he, he's at that level where he doesn't need to have a good match to have the match get really over, uh, but this wasn't good. This was long and kind of boring, although technically good, but, you know, uh, it was very disappointing. And it's probably my own fault for thinking it would be Hero, but, like, yeah, Skrull didn't excite me at all here, and it wasn't particularly great. Um, And then after the match, 
Skull cuts a, a promo, uh, putting over progress and saying that uh, you won't see him in progress again for a very long time, and this is goodbye, which is a bit weird because he, as you said, he hasn't been uh, here since the Thunder Bastard. When was that? Like March? I think yeah, February or March, early in the year. So like, hasn't been here for six months. Comes back and like, oh, by the way, I'm going away. It's like, well, yeah, we've got to figure that. Um, which kind of made me think uh, they were going to do a, a Rev Pro thing and be like, oh, he then interferes in the main event or something uh, to set up uh, uh, Banks' next challenger. Something like that, but, uh, like they did uh, at Global Wars when um, Skill kind of did the, the goodbye promo and then uh, attacked Zack. But no, it was actually just a, a goodbye promo and it looks like he won't be able to be in progress anymore since he's... he's Sign another Ring of Honor contract, I believe, um, or is on the verge of signing another Ring of Honor contract, something like that. Um, yeah, that was there. And then we got the first half main event, which was Mark Haskin versus Jimmy Havoc in a death match. And I always feel horribly underqualified to talk about death matches because, like, the really cringy uh, spots, I look away. <laughs> and uh, in general, I just don't enjoy them. But this didn't even feel like a particularly good death match. Not that I'm mm. too great a judge, but it kind of just felt like two guys taking turns to pull new stuff out from under the ring and then hit each other with them. Mm. Well, this has sort of been a secondary feud coming in, but it's not been particularly interesting on the kind of on the same level as the main feud, like I'm not too excited to see this match. Um, I think it could work well for me for like what I've seen of it and reactions from on Twitter that I've seen of it. This could be probably the match I enjoy the most from this show, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Again, the build wasn't didn't particularly excite me. The the crowd seemed to enjoy it, so maybe yeah. it's just me not liking death matches, but uh, it didn't do too much for me. Um, but, you know, again, to qualify that, not many ma- death matches do. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I have enjoyed Jimmy Havoc death, the occasional Jimmy Havoc death match in the past. I, enjoy- I, re- I really like the Paul Robinson one. Yeah, the Paul um, Robinson one's excellent. But that's kind of the, the exception rather than the rule. Um, and this wasn't the Paul Robinson one, or at least I didn't think so. Um, second half. Uh, what was the first match on the second half? Uh, well, was it Atlas? I think it was Atlas. It was Atlas, yes. This was amazing. This was the high spot of the card. Um, Timothy Thatcher is a different person outside <laughs> of Evolve. Yeah? It's not just WXW, it's outside of Evolve. And it took a little while in progress, like the, the Jack Gallagher match, I was like, ugh, boring Evolve, Thatcher. But, like, it's pretty much whenever he's in ring camp, like regalia. Mm, yeah, he is. I know what you he's mean. He's a great wrestler, and like Volta and Riddle continue to be an amazing pairing. I don't think we've had a chance to talk about um, the the US shows, but if you haven't yet, um, the two matches you need to see from the US shows, both on the New York show, um, and all of them leading into this match, it's Thatcher versus Dijak which is my favourite Thatcher match ever. Um, those two just work so brilliantly and with such purpose. There's alien for Thatcher in the US. <laughs> um, and then I'm, I'm um, glad to hear Thatcher's uh, 
turn of the page. I'm I'm definitely growing into him a lot more now. This year has been the year of me enjoying Timothy Thatcher. Like I still don't enjoy him in Evolve, but anywhere else. I'd, I mean, he I'd he's living in Germany for the next four months, so we're gonna get yeah. So that the rest of the year, Prime Thatcher. Uh, that is that is good stuff. Um, and then the other match from from the US, uh, the best Riddle Volta match for my money, um, to place in New York in the main event spot, and it was amazing. Uh, I thought the result was wrong because again, this was another one where you give a freshish new act in Volta the title win, and then immediately pull it back off him and give it back to the previous champion just so you could give him a second title win straight after um, on the big show. It's very strange. Um, Water and Riddle have been having great matches this year, though. Everywhere they've gone. And this triple threat was another in a great, great series. Um, Excellent. This... I went four stars on this one. Um, And, like, I wasn't expecting it to be as good because as much as I've liked Thatcher in WXW... I didn't think he'd translate well to a freeway, but it actually made him translate, like, brilliantly, because he there was no chance for him to do his boring grappling stuff, where he just kind of rolls around purposely on purposelessly uh, on the mat. It was just him doing hard striking and throws, which is what I want to see from Thatcher. Um, mixed in with uh, Volta and Riddle doing what those two do, Mm-hmm. Uh, this was this was great, great stuff, and like the, definitely the highlight of the show. Um, I'm very glad to see Volta get the title back because I think, as good as Riddle is, I think Volta is what you want from the Atlas division. Whereas Riddle is a really good wrestler who just happens to be over 205 pounds. Um, he like when I say when I hear Big Lad, I don't think of Riddle. Uh, if you if you get me, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, whereas Volta is the definition of the best big lad. Yeah, so so this is that that if you're gonna watch one match from the show, that should definitely be be the one. Um, I wouldn't be completely shocked to see that match showing up on some match of the year lists. It's probably not quite that high. Um, but but uh, some people will absolutely adore this match, and I was pretty close to that. Um, then we got an eight man, um, number one contendership match, and that was, it was actually pretty good. Um, I, I expected it to be more of a clusterfuck than it was. Um, James Drake did the best thing he's ever done, um, where, uh, I, I was sat next to at Coney Chimmel on Twitter, uh, Jamie, and uh, we both turned to each other after he'd hit a, a really great looking running drop kick into the corner out of nowhere. Um, and, and we both turned to each other and went, that's the best thing um, James Drake's <laughs> ever done. Um, although at the beginning of this match, he literally did that Gibson's promo. Like, <laughs> it was word for word, him doing that Gibson's promo. And it was like, you're so riding his coattails now. Yeah, it's like, pretty transparent. <laughs> it's like someone realised James Drake isn't actually over. He's just got go-away heat. 
because he's really boring. They teamed yeah. him up with the most over actual heel in the company. So we can just pretend that, that James Drake has gotten himself over. <laughs> and it was the juxtaposition here was magnificent in that James Drake did the promo and like people kind of booed because that's what you do when you hear that promo. Yeah. And then Zach Gibson took the mic and tweaked up the promo a little bit. And like <laughs> the way he always does, because it's never quite exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. It's he almost, always adds a line almost, or two to it. It's almost always word for word, but the delivery is always slightly different. And he just got so much better a reaction, and he's got so much more. He just gets it better, you know. Like he gets fans, and he gets what will get a reaction. <laughs> Whereas James Drake, you kind of got the sense it was like. Also, if I say these words, I'll get booed. Great, I'll say yeah. these words. <laughs> There's a magic formula <laughs> to getting over. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's there is a perfect juxtaposition of like why Zach Gibson is so good on the mic and why James Drake is James Drake. Mm. Um, it's weird that they're using James Drake so much now and not like guys they had already invested in, like Roy Johnson and Eva who were showing some signs of improvement, and uh, <laughs> they just, like, can't find him with a searchlight now. I mean, the answer is WWE UK. Uh, you'd think Roy yeah. Johnson would kind of go in with that, but uh, James Drake's the one getting used on, like, access and stuff, so surprise, surprise, he's the one being used. Oh, actually, mm. that reminds me. Um, speaking of WWE UK, after the Atlas match, um, we got Wolfgang coming out. Oh, Yes. I mean, I actually quite like Wolfgang after his series of matches with Trent Seven in ICW. Um, but yeah, it's sort of more of an ironic <laughs> fandom than anything else. I did hear that he got laughed at by the crowd when he came out. Yeah, like, his theme music started with um, a howl, and like, you could audibly hear people saying, Davey Richards isn't over 205 pounds. Like, what? <laughs> um... <laughs> Um, so, yeah, uh, he came out, threw up a W, uh, which, you know, kind of was a bit weird, considering Volta also starts with a W, um, but it seems like that's gonna be, uh, Volta's, uh, at least first big challenge for the belt. I really hope he doesn't end up, uh, winning it, because I want to see more of Walter as champion, because he's the best thing going in the promotion at the moment. Um, and while Wolfgang in 2017 is a lot better than Wolfgang any year prior, um, <laughs> he suddenly realised, oh wait, you, you're supposed to have good matches. Oh, okay, I will then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh. Do remember that there's no level of control, uh, by WWE over progress. No, there's, Rovic there's confirmed it. <laughs> no influence whatsoever, um, despite now, like, 60% of the roster being guys who are WWE UK guys. None whatsoever. Um, so, yeah. Uh, the eight-man was, I thought, pretty good. Like, three-and-a-half-star match, which, you know, is is pretty much where an eight-man match is going gonna, is gonna to peak. Um, one crazy spot was uh, it looked like uh, Eddie Dennis, and I think it was Mark Andrews, I mean that makes sense. Uh, we're gonna do like the the young bucks young bucks spot where Eddie power bombs or crucifix power bombs someone into in a buckle bomb, uh, while Mark hits uh, an enziguri as he goes into the corner. 
Um, but they set that up, and then Eddie just threw him over the ring post to the outside, <laughs> and no one was expecting it, and everyone was just like, "Holy shit, what?" And like, wow. even Mark was there, like, just hanging on the 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 ropes, and like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> like, he was going for the end of the guri, and then like, uh, I can't remember who he did it to. Um, I think it was Deputy Dunn. Um, but just goes over the, the top rope and like no one was even like looking to see if anyone caught him because um, no one was just expecting that and from where I was standing I couldn't see if anyone caught him I, I really hope someone did um, but uh, it was an insane spot um, I loved that um, and then considering it was an 8 man uh, uh, I should quite clarify not an 8 man tag just an, an 8 way match um, there were some really nice storytelling points in the um the Andrews and Eddie uh did the oh what's their tag finisher called the like double stomp next stop driver deal I'm not sure if that has a team name I don't know if it has a name no just the next stop driver thing yeah um they did that and obviously after that Eddie naturally goes into the pin. But he kind of went for the pin, then stopped and looked at Mark, because Mark's obviously standing there after just hitting the, the double stomp. And Mark was kind of like, no, no, you can go for the pin, being like super selfless. Um, uh, and th- that little delay ended up, they didn't get the pin from that, but th- that was a really nice tease for later. Um, Andrews ended up winning the match um, with a shooting star press uh, and becoming the number one contender. Um, so then in the ring, you got uh, Flash Morgan Webster come into the ring um, and kind of have a stare down with Mark. Uh, he'd been in the match, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I said that either. Um, but uh, and he looked a, a bit annoyed, uh, and then he kind of stared Andrews down and then left the ring. Um, Andrews went up onto the turnbuckle, um, and like holding his arm up. Flash slides back into the ring. Andrews turns around and. And it, you know, it really, really looked like Flash was going to turn on him. Uh, and then um, Flash shakes his hand, like reluctantly, but shakes his hand and walks off. Um, and as he's walking up the, the ramp, Mark's looking at him and everyone in the crowd's like, oh, that's nice. Everyone's going to be a turn. But, uh, no, no, they're, they're still friends. And they're All friends. Maybe teasing something for the future. And then out of nowhere, where people are still kind of half focused on uh, Flash, they're wondering... Or was he then going to run again back into the ring and actually attack him this time? Eddie comes out of nowhere from behind, picks him up, hits Andrews with the next stop driver. It was so, so well done. <laughs> um, no one was expecting it because of the tease that they just had with Flash. I, I thought this was magnificent and like a brilliant, brilliant way to, to do the turn. And then as soon as, like, he'd done the turn, the way Eddie, like, just changed the way he carried himself, it was, like, small, subtle things. Just the way his face changed expression slightly. And it's just, immediately, you're just like, yes, he's going to be really good at being a heel. He seemed, he just seems to have the attitude down perfectly, and that's not something I'd have naturally thought, because he's... For so long, he's kind of been the happy-go-lucky... Yeah, the um, party's over. Yay, party Eddie guy. Um, <laughs> but this seems like it's really going to freshen him up. He like he rolls out the ring, 
and, and people are just screaming at him like, oh, why, Eddie, why? And he just nonchalantly just knocks someone's beer out of their hand and just walks up the, up the stage. And then so many guys in progress, so many heels, like, you know, that... They'll they'll throw up the bird at um, the fans, and it, you know it's 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 overdone. Um, but Eddie kind of he, everyone was you know, swearing at him, whatever. Um, and just just as he's going through the curtain, he kind of like t- throws up two fingers, and, like, and you really got the vibe, which is like it was like, uh, oh fuck you guys! Like I needed to do this, I needed to to stand out. I needed to win this match. I didn't win this match, so I've got to I've got to make a change. I can't forever be in Andrews's shadow. Um and I'm really I'm all in on this. I thought this was a magnificently well done turn. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um obviously time will tell if Dennis plays continues to play it well. Um like if uh all the stories go well for him heading into the future or he could get Strangler Davis. How did uh the Strangler come across in this match? Did he feel like a bit player, or did he feel important? Kind of. He was like there was nothing wrong with what he did, but he was kind of just there. Um, like literally until you just mentioned him, I forgot he was in the match. <laughs> I think he yeah. really struggled as a single. But guy. I thought that turn was really effective too. But they haven't done anything with him since. It was kind of effective, but I thought he did a better job of getting Lynch over as a face than Davis over as a heel, which isn't what you want, given no. that <laughs> Lynch is actually retiring. Um, and, you know, unless it's a big, uh, really well-done work and Lynch comes back at some point, but you'd have expected if it was a build to a match, the match would have happened here. So it does seem that that's 100% legit. Um, yeah, I, Davis just seems lost in the shuffle. And... Nothing was more indicative of that than him working a squash and working it 50-50. Like, that was very much a, a sign when he, a, a few shows ago against Connor Mills, where it was like, is this where you're being positioned? You're working a 50-50 match with a dark match guy when it should really be a squash, it, when you're just newly minted heel? Yeah, I, th- I really think he's going to struggle. Um, and finally, moving on to the main event, Pete Dunne versus Travis Banks. Travis Banks uh, wins the title uh, in a, a replay of Fight Club Pro, uh, but pretty much um, uh, just with CCK on the other side and MK McKinnon not there. Um, yeah, this wasn't particularly great. It was very WWE. It was like the worst mm. John Cena from like. Ten years ago, where it was like, oh, versus Travis the Nexus and the Miz and whatever. <laughs> yeah, and just getting beat up for. Ages I mean, that was that was the build, really. Like run-ins. the sledgehammer stuff. You knew that they were going to be overegging that stuff, and if you're into it, you're into it. But uh, it definitely was not for us. This it match much, and this story. It almost wasn't a match, and like the finish got a great reaction. And people were really into the the match at the start, but then as the match kind of happened, the crowd weren't as into it as you perhaps want from the main event of what you're billing as your biggest show ever. Um, Travis winning the belt got a great reaction, but that kind of... Actually, this, that perfectly feeds into a, a broader discussion point that we wanted to bring up. Yeah. Uh, and this was... Um, 
uh, giving credit, uh, this was originally a Twitter from Galazzo Dan, um, and he put it, I think he put into words something that a lot of us have been thinking for quite a while, but he put it better than anyone else could have um, possibly uh, worded it, uh, in that for all this, like, the fun that's poked at progress for being, like, WWE Junior now, they have very much become a moment's not match it, uh, a moment's not stories promotion. Whereas they, what made progress and what really helped them grow originally was coherent storytelling. And in the last like year and a half, it hasn't been that. It's been a few really good moments where the build to it has kind of been eh at best. Like looking back, Eva. Eva's title win, great moment, made no sense, didn't really work, and in the end it didn't pay off, and look where Eva is in progress now, as a result of it. Um, he won their main belt, and he wasn't on this show. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It has been an incongruent build to Alexandra Palace uh, since Super Strong Style, and um, I, I feel like they put all their eggs into one basket with the CCK versus British Strong Style stuff. When that, mat, as you said, the matchup in Fight Club Pro had already happened, uh, they did a match in Lucha Forever, and that, this was before they even started um, doing like the, the, the trios against each other uh, feud. I feel like the matchup was on its deathbed before Progress had even started this feud, and this was how they were going to build the next five months of the promotion around all building up, obviously, to this big moment, but I feel they really haven't done the characters any justice. We, we always talk about how great that Jimmy Havoc run was, and how they built that character into, yes, it was dramatic and, um, you know, sports entertainment-y, but it felt legitimate, and it felt dangerous, I guess, the Havoc character, and I feel like British Strong Style and Travis Banks did not have a character for this feud, uh, Banks was just kind of the hero sent to stop British Strong Style. He didn't seem to have any personal ambition, or, or if, even if he did, they, Progress didn't highlight it. Um, and British Strong Style, it, when they started, they had a great motivation. They were, you know, uh, coming down from the Midlands to defend the real Strong Style, and then obviously the WWUK thing happened, and Dunn was cutting promos like, I'll sign my contract on the title belt, you know, Summer of Punk stuff. And that somehow flanderized into doing Triple H tribute spots in a like very comedy sick comedy based six mans, not feeling dangerous, turning the sledgehammer thing into a joke, over egging literally everything, interference in every match, Pete Dunne distracting Banks in all the pick your poison matches, and like you say, turning into kind of WWE inspired booking and tropes like the pick your poison stuff. And the losing streak gimmick of Travis Banks, which I think neither of us were a particular fan of. Yes, obviously he lost because of interference, but it also means that Keith Lee is a more legitimate challenger <laughs> than uh, the guy who you're supposed to be building up as the top face. Yeah, like, I can, I can, I don't like it ever, but I can kind of forgive it if you do it once. Like, if they'd yeah. have just done it with Riddle... Travis Banks was on a losing streak going into the biggest show ever where he won the title. And I don't care what you say, that's not good booking. That That's shit. Um, like, it, it's, it's stuff that if 
WWE did it, people would rip them to shreds. A title challenger, big face title challenger going on a losing streak gimmick, throwing in, uh, oh, can he coexist? Of course he can't coexist. Why would... Why would it make any sense for him to coexist in a meaningless tag match that you're throwing into the I, main I, event? I think that um, literal little go-home show that they ran was kind of peak this run of progress, because I feel like none of the results mattered on that show. It was all to build to this show, basically just a big advert, like a Monday Night Raw, which is acceptable because that is a Raw, but I feel like they've always said we want to make every chapter show feel important, and that one distinctly did not feel important. Yeah, I was at that show, and it, it wasn't good. It was an okay Raw, and I wouldn't go to an okay Raw. I wouldn't go, I would never go to a Raw. <laughs> no. Nothing happens of importance, no, it, though. It was shit. And everyone knows that. Um, like, <sighs> Travis Banks winning the title was a good moment, mm-hmm. but, like, it was a good moment for about three seconds, and, <laughs> like, you know, it got a big pop, but overall, kind of the reaction was kind of like, yeah, good, Travis won the belt now. Whereas, think about Travis when he won the Super Strong Style. He was so hot Yeah, as an act. That felt like a that. major moment. Even if, like, even if I wasn't, like, the most into it ever because I had seen it at Infinity previously, <laughs> which I think was, like, the zenith of Travis, Bank, ba- tra- Travis Banks winning as a moment, the Zenith was Infinity, um, and Super Strong Style was a very good moment too, in like the Progress canon, and yeah, I haven't seen this one obviously, but yeah, it it's diminishing returns, just like everything we've been talking about. And, yeah, look at the three title matches on this show. Volta winning the title, For the it already time. happened, mm. literally, like, what was it? Two, one month ago? Two, two months? A month and a half ago? From Riddle? The exact same thing? Like That's that kind of a... forgivable because it is like a mid-card title. I don't mind them switching hands too much, but obviously when it's framed within the tag titles and it's, it's the, the main title. Thing. It's yeah. the cumulative thing. It's, that was a way bigger deal the first time it happened. Either... Like... Riddle didn't need to have the title here. Why not just keep Walter on a run? Um, yes, you'd have to change the booking in in New York slightly, but like you could do it. Like don't book yourself into these corners. Um, you didn't have to book Riddle Volta there. Although I love the match, but you know, mm. um, and you can never recapture a first title reign. And I think that importance is lost a lot. You should never squander a first title reign. I I don't actually mind, like a a champion, a previous champion winning a rematch clause every now and again, just so when you're watching a rematch for a t- from a title match, you're going, oh, actually, it could flip back. It gives that that yeah, doubt in yeah. your mind. I think that needs to happen every now and again. But I, I think when they did that with CCK, it did burn them out significantly because you look at what happened after that match and like it turned into them feuding with extra talented on the distinctly on the undercard and then suddenly going straight back to this match it has been an odd journey for cck and they came in so hot and it was a great moment and then winning the championship was a great moment and i would say the last good 
British Strong Style versus CCK match I saw, because after that, there was the six-man in Fight Club Pro, which felt excessive. And then, <laughs> I think I watched on the same day the, um, the six-man tag team match, not the six-man, like, gauntlet or whatever, in progress. And that just felt like the exact same match as I'd seen in Fight Club Pro, and it was at that point where I was like, this match is dead to me, I don't care anymore. <laughs> and then there was still three months until Alexandra Palace. Yeah, and it... So as I said, I don't mind occasionally flipping your title back and forth, just so there's that doubt in the mind, but don't do it with a first reign, especially not with a relatively fresh act. Like, CCK were a very fresh act, and them winning the title, then losing the title, like, that burned a lot of their um, heat. They're, they're still over, definitely. Um, still one of the more over acts in the company. But they're nowhere near as hot as they were. Um, yeah, they felt special when they first came in. Like, a real, like, game-changer act in progress. And now they feel like part of the scenery. Um, and Volta, while Volta has been around a long time, he was in the... I think he was in the first Super Strong Style. Yeah, 2015. Um, but, like, the the latest incarnation of Volta yeah, has pretty much Volta. only Best been in the world, 2017. Volta. <laughs> um, and, and singles Volta, even even less time than that. Yeah. Um, and he felt fresh, he felt great for the Atlas Division, and him winning the title felt like a huge moment, and then he lost it again, and then he won it again, and it's... You know, again, you've burnt a first reign that could have been really important, and it's gone now. Um, and you can never recapture the first time. And then Travis, as we've said, the difference between Strong Style and and this win was a, a big difference, and that's within one company in a couple of months. Um, so all three title wins that should have been big, big moments here, they're all you kind of go. You can kind of look at all three of them and go. That should have been bigger. And I, I think you can point to the fact that the last probably like five months of progress has all been building up to this one show, which was supposed to blow everything off and have it be epic and amazing and memorable. And I feel like that's not how progress books well. Like, it always used to be like they would look to the next show, the next challenger to Jimmy Havoc or whatever. And I, I don't want to like be nostalgic or whatever and be stuck in the past, but I feel like they're booking structure has changed significantly like the way they tell the stories through the shows has changed so much and the individual shows aren't as important anymore obviously they're running a lot more shows so that's inevitable but i just feel like there's less importance placed on making every show feel meaningful so if it's the only show you're going to go to or see for like a couple of months it still stands on its own as an enjoyable product now you have to have the subscription you have to go to every show just to make sense of what's going on, and at the end, it it feels a little manufactured. Like you're saying, the moments here were all like booked to be big moments instead of just letting them come naturally, and that's a very WWE thing to do. The one silver lining I do want to say though is now that Alexandra Palace is over, much like Brixton last year, I think Progress's product picked up significantly after their big show when they went back to sort of show-to-show -show booking and show-to-show -show stories, and they focused more on the matches. They had an excellent run of tag team matches with Ring Camp and The Hunters and South Pacific Power Trip um, and British Strong Style, and they all faced off in various combinations, and it was very good um, at the end of last year, the be beginning of this year. So I'm hoping that winter will 
be a lot more palatable. Yeah, and it's weird for me to say because more than anything, usually I'm a match guy. I I love yeah. great matches, and I'd I will say the same. dip in and out of uh, promotions and watch one one match from a show if I hear it's great. And I, and honestly, I think this has been the best in ring year of progress ever. <laughs> that, that's what makes it so frustrating. But like. It's been difficult to follow and just kind of annoying to follow um, because the in-ring stuff has been very high quality, especially at the start of the year before Strong Style and during Strong Style, obviously. Like, I'm a guy who cares about match quality over almost everything else, and I, I know, like, a lot of people aren't, and I, I think that's completely fine. I, I, you know, enjoy wrestling however you want to enjoy wrestling, but I enjoy great matches um, a lot more than following a promotion in general. Um, and so for me, it's baffling that I, I'm i enjoying progress less now than I was in previous years when the thing I care about is better. And if that's not an indication of how much worse the booking's got, I don't know what is. <laughs> now, it, Brit Rest, I always care about the booking a bit more because I'm going to the live shows, yeah. and if I'm going to the live shows, I'm seeing full shows, I'm not just parachuting in, watching individual matches. Um, so, you know, that's kind of a qualifier there. Um, but, yeah, I, I just... I I can't see the argument for how progress is booked well nowadays. And people will still tell you that it is, um, and that will kind of move us on to another mini-topic that we were kind of discussing before the show a little bit, uh, in that Progress has kind of moved tiers in terms of wrestling fans. Um, and it's a hard thing to describe because the typical um, uh, way of describing wrestling fans is you get the, the casual wrestling fans who are pretty much watching exclusively WWE and then the hardcore wrestling fans, which is the people in our bubble. And it doesn't matter how deep in you are, you always consider your own bubble to be the level that hardcore is at. Um, <laughs> and, like, I can say that um, I thought I was a hardcore wrestling fan in, like, 2013 when I just discovered Ring of Honor. Yeah. Um, and, like, looking back now, I was like, well, I I, I didn't delve into um, anywhere near as uh, deep as I do now. Um, there's, there's always someone watching something more obscure than you are. <laughs> there's always some heat-up guy. There's always um, some heat up guy. <laughs> um, but but yeah. Um, so kind of, but to kind of talk broadish tiers, um, you get like the WWE fans. You get the the WWE guys who then also watch NXT, and they're like, "Wow, NXT is this amazing, different, uh, yeah. fresh indie product." And we were um, all like that at one point. <laughs> yeah, like it varies how long you were like that, but but everyone, everyone, unless you're an older person who grew up with like WCW or something, everyone started with a big company, uh, pretty much. There there were probably one or two exceptions to the rule, but you know, ninety nine percent of people will have started with either WWE or if they're a little older, maybe WCW or something like that, or NWA or whatever. Um, and then. You get um, the next tier down uh, is the people who don't watch New Japan, but they fucking love the Bullet Club, uh, <laughs> which I always find very strange. Um, they're the people who think Cody is the biggest star in the world, 
um, who adore his matches, just, um, they're, they're way into the Young Bucks, um, they're now way into Marty Skrull, um, because of his association with them, uh, they, they think Omega's amazing, despite having watched, like, four or five of his matches, um, which, you know, Again, this is probably sounding way more judgmental than I'm. Than I mean, <laughs> we're, we're painting broad it. strokes here, but um, I know, we know who we're talking about, I guess. <laughs> um, I, I guess I kind of just uh, trying to convey uh, into words th- this idea in my head of this kind of yeah, yeah, generalization yeah. of fan. Uh, they probably also um, adore PWG, and now they also adore pro or adore Progress. Like that's kind of the tier of fan that they've they've entered into. Uh, and and that's weird for us because we're so used to Brit Rest being the the next tier, which is like yeah, just a bunch of gremlins walking around, fans. having like it's the first time we've been outside in a week because we're hitting the Piro Drive too hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's like the people who watch way 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 too much wrestling is the the typical uh, Brit Rest fan, whereas Progress they reached a level above that. Which is mm. great for them. But... Oh, it makes all the, all the business sense in the world, but it has it's definitely changed how the company runs itself, and as you say, more WWE light and catering to the tastes of a WWE fan or an NXT fan. Like, don't you get the sense that if Cody showed up in Progress, he would be over as hell now? <laughs> and that's what we're on here. Yeah. And if that happened, like, a year and a half ago, I don't think that would have been to the same extent. Like, current Cody, but a year and a half ago, progress crowd, if you, know, you get what I mean. Um, and a big trait of that kind of generalised grouping of fans, I feel anyway, is that once they decide something is great, they will not take any criticism for it and they will it's perhaps harsh but in general I get a very big vibe of lack of uh, critical uh, lack of critique from from that group of fans once they decide they Mm. love something they love it and you get that and that's what kind of gives the the cult like vibe that I guess Lucha Underground kind of fits into this tier as well in that you get the Lucha Underground fans who think Lucha Underground is the best thing in the world. No, Cobra Moon is the best wrestler in the world. <laughs> and they will hear no critique about it. They, they can't be good things and bad things about the product. Everything's great. And mm. anyone who is um, uh, has a, a slight problem with, with something, they're clearly just trolling or they're, they're stupidly negative and they should just not watch if they don't want to, uh, if they're going to be uh, nasty about it or whatever. Um, same thing with PWG. Uh, you get the, the super hardcore PWG fans who think it's the best thing in the world and won't hear a bad word against it. You now hear that with Progress as well. You, you hear that with Cody and, and stuff. And it's weird that you hear it with Cody and stuff, but not ROH as a whole, generally. It's just it's a, a small niche of the top of the ROH card, pretty much Bullet Club, um, that, that gets gets looped into that, uh, lumped into that, that grouping of PWG, Lucha Underground, uh, the Bullet Club and now Progress. Um, I, I I don't really know exactly where I'm going with this point. It's just kind of an observation <laughs> I've uh, yeah, I've made. We're gonna get absolutely rinsed for this as elitists and <laughs> gatekeepers. Like, I, I don't even 
I'm not saying they shouldn't be fans or anything like that. It's just an observation I've made in the, a transition mm. that the Progress crowd has made. Oh, it, it's definitely changed this year. I mean, it's, there's no doubt about it. Um, I, I don't want to appear like too negative about it or, you know, get get called out <laughs> by the gotcha culture. Um, but there has definitely been a change and the product is not catered... Like, some of it is still catered to us. Like you say, like the, the Matt Riddle-Walter matches and stuff, the super strong style with Flamita... Um, facing off against like Travis Banks and people, and even like the Jack Sexsmith stuff, that still feels like old progress booking. Like he had to go through a series of like show to show challenges, and every show you thought maybe he would get finally his big win, and it all built up to a natural crescendo, and it wasn't like a fake moment; it was a real one. That felt like old progress booking, and it felt like something for the fans, you know. Whereas the Alexandra Palace main event stuff, all built the British Strong Style Triple H parody stuff, that feels very much not for us, and it's it's easy to see why people are frustrated, like especially within our bubble. Um, obviously, like our friends and um, people we interact with a lot, we have heard this sort of stuff, and it's it's no wonder why people like us and our friends are feeling frustrated, whereas for other people, you know, it couldn't be any better, because we just like different things and um, have different tastes to the product. But obviously, progress used to be catering for us, and now it's not, so it's easy to see, and logical, and not unjustified to be frustrated about it. And again, if you are really enjoying progress at the moment, great. That's, that's great. I, I will never begrudge someone enjoying something. I guess we're just trying to explain why we're not. Yeah. Um, and also, um, kind of linked into the... Uh, again, it sounds so so patronising, but I can't think of a better <laughs> way to put it. The, go the for lack it, go for of it. criticalness that this kind of new breed of progress fans have. Um, and I'm not even saying... I'm, in general in life, I'm probably too critical for my own enjoyment. Uh, I am overly analytical, and I can, like, think myself out of enjoying something. And I <laughs> wish, I really wish I could just watch stuff and enjoy it more easily. And that, turn that's your, a me you Turn your brain off stuff, yeah. Um, uh, but, but every match I... Like, it's stupid stuff, like... Um, I'm having a great time at a, a fight, a live fight club pro show, and then, like, part of my brain goes, he's not legal. He shouldn't yeah. be able to be pinned. He's not legal. Most <laughs> no people don't have that, that problem. That's, but, but that's in my brain, and, you know, that's, that's, a, that's an uber example of it. But so, so, again, I'm not saying that not being as critical as me is yeah. a problem. We're not trying to paint ourselves as the gods of no. criticism or anything, but this is just our opinion and what we've felt like. And it would be wrong to say that we couldn't feel like this, or we're just wrong for saying it. <laughs> and and I, I the reason we keep qualifying is that because it does, it keeps almost sounding like we're being super elitist, and we're not trying to do this. Uh, and if we are, then sorry, but um, <laughs> yeah, the the lack of criticalness has meant that wrestlers become once they get over, they stay over forever even if they're not doing good stuff. Like, British Strong Style is still over, despite... I don't think they've been good for quite a long time. 
not in this incarnation. I mean, like the Pete, even though I didn't like love it amazingly, and I had a big week long meltdown, like week long midlife crisis about it. The Pete Dunn um, Tyler Bate match at NXT, like that was them in full full on work mode, um, and that was a really awesome match. Whereas the like the British Strong Style shtick is them very much in like third gear. But because they were over, and as I said, once this new breed of fan seems to get it into their head that someone's great, they are then great forever. Um, so they're still over despite not having been good for a while. See um, Nakamura in WWE. Yes, that's that's a perfect example. Um, yeah. Um, I think we've kind of talked progress to death yeah we've, about we, we've got our it. thoughts off our chest i think <laughs> <laughs> it's been somewhat therapeutic although yeah <laughs> I, I, we'll probably get ripped to shreds for it by certain circles but at, at the same time i know it's these are thoughts that a lot of people are having um and we're not alone in this um so yeah we're moving on to um an upcoming show, uh, it, it's not going to happen for quite a while, uh, I think it's 22nd and 23rd of September, mm-hmm. um, but we won't be recording another show um, until after that, so we're going to preview it now, um, and that's Fight Club Pro are running what's probably, I think it's probably fair to say is their second biggest weekend of the year, uh, after the Dream Tag Team Inv- Invitational, um, and that's uh, Project Mayhem 6. Um, which is a a double shot weekend, uh, and they're running it in conjunction with two international um, promotions, Dragon Gate from Japan and um, the Wrestling Revolver from the US, Sammy Callahan's promotion. Um, that isn't CZW. Um, <laughs> and they have put together some really fun looking cards uh, for these shows and also been awesome enough to um, have the cards up several weeks in advance which is great to be able to preview all uh, in one graphic as well <laughs> yeah so because um, usually you're on the Fight Club Pro Twitter page you're just scanning around for random match announcements <laughs> you <laughs> always end up missing organized. one as well um, uh, I have talked a lot so far because I was the one at the Alexandra Palace show so yeah. I'll, I'll let you take the lead on these previews to me. Okay, well, uh, on night one, it's the Dragon Gate six-man. Um, they're bringing over Shima, Eita, and Masaki Mochizuki as the Dragon Gate team. It's a very strong team, obviously. Shima is, like, the face of Dragon Gate. Eita's, like, probably the most promising young star, and Mochizuki is the elder statesman, um, at who just kicks people and is grumpy and brilliant. Uh, so it's definitely a good, a strong trio, even if they're not even if Mochizuki isn't like aligned with Shima and Eita in storyline, it's a good like dream trio. Uh, and on night one, they're doing the British Strong Style Six Man, and on night two, it's the Christensen Callahan as the dream Six Man of night two. Um, and then on night one, we have Jessica Havoc. I wonder why she's there versus Millie McKenzie, who is uh, a, a, like straight out of the Fight Club Pro Dojo. She was representing them in the King of Trios Shikara, um, and she has been very good at these like big spot festy matches. Um, 
obviously she probably still has a long way to go in like learning about matchcraft and like building up a match, but she's already like right on par with everyone else in in like the athletic spots um and like the reversals and stuff. She's like al- already doing really really good stuff in those environments, which is what Fight Club Pro is basically. It is these crazy multi-mans with lots of crazy spots. Um, all go, go, go. Like, so she's perfect for this promotion. We have the callous hearts of Clint Marger and Jimmy Havoc taking on CCK, who probably have a bigger match on night two, but this is still a fairly interesting one. And then we have a, a, a four-way eight-man tag, which is probably gonna be a crazy spot fest. <laughs> um, got Scarlet and Graves. The Crists, um, Black Coffee, <laughs> which is an amazing tag team, um, name of Amari and Joe Coffee, and then Aussie Open, Mark Davis and Carl Fletcher, who have been very impressive, uh, since they debuted a couple of months ago in Britain. So that's night one. Any standout matches? Any thoughts on um, night one? I think you're also missing Travis Banks versus Jordan Devlin in a number uh, one contendership <laughs> match. And, the, uh, the graphic is screwing me over. And uh, Dan Maloney versus Shea Purser. Yes, um, in... which has been a very fun story with Session Moth Martina, married to, or the girlfriend of Shea Purser, the referee. Yeah, how... I am so pleased with the three people they've selected to bring over from Dragon Gate. Oh, yeah. Like, they are three of my five favourites. Like, if I'd have listed my five favourites, it would be Mochizuki, Sima, Eita, um, Jimmy Kagatura and BB Hulk are my five favourite Dragon Gate guys, and three of them are coming over. Um, it, I am so... I am very much considering going to either one of these shows or both of these shows. It's just... It, it would be nearly impossible for me to get back from. Once you're in Wolverhampton, you can't get out, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're trapped. But I'm so excited that I may just end up going anyway. Yeah, um, <laughs> and bluff, bluff the rest of the night. <laughs> they do do this after-party gimmick um, in the Starworks, so you could potentially hang out there until like five a.m. <laughs> and get the train home. It's a, it's a definite possibility, and like it really shouldn't be, um, because you know, ideally, I'd buy a hotel, but I can't really afford to do that at the moment. Mm. Um, especially not with having booked stuff for Germany. Um, uh, <laughs> and then on, uh, we'll do night two quickly. Uh, four way: Mochizuki, Travis Banks, Mark Haskins, and Kyle Fletcher. That's a really awesome match. Um, kind of annoying, but not going to do a Mochizuki singles match. Um, potentially with Pete Dunne or Travis Banks, I would have liked that. But I guess if they want to try all three people at once against Mochizuki, this is the way to do it. Um, got Shane Strickland versus Omari. That's an exciting one. Um, then probably the big match of the weekend. Um, from someone who enjoys Dragon Gate. Uh, I hear it's actually good again, according to Alan Forel. Um, we have Shima and Ata versus CCK, Brooks and Lycos. And obviously those two big fans of Dragon Gate. The gimmick is inspired by Dragon Gate, especially Lycos. Um, like, I think it used to be called Monday Like <laughs> which is yeah. a complete riff off uh, Monday Ray, um, yeah. Problem and Dragon, they, Problem Wolf. They started teaming together because they watched like a Dragon Gate show together. <laughs> so this is a 
dream match for them, and like they'll be certainly t- trying to make sure it's the best match of the weekend. So that is probably the big one uh, to look out for. And then the Christensen Callahan versus British Strong Style, which is <laughs> gonna be very self indulgent, but could also be really good too. And then also we've got Callus Hart and Scarlet versus Scarlet and Graves because that's a separate graphic. I've left it to last. Blame the Fight Club Pro Twitter page. <laughs> have you mentioned? Uh, I may have just uh, phased out, but uh, did you mention Jordan <laughs> Devlin versus Mark Davis versus Millie McKenzie versus David? Oh Scott? yes, that is also a separate graphic with Davis Star written on it. <laughs> These cards are hard to find. <laughs> but yes, Devlin versus Davis versus Mackenzie versus Davis Star. Hot new prospect coming out of the Fight Club Pro Dojo. Um, what, what do we think of Night 2? I'm very into it again. Um, I think a big thing for this weekend is that a lot of guys will really be trying to impress. Mm-hmm. Um, because... All of the reports coming out is that Seema is there on a, a scouting deal. Um, and that some of these guys, if they have an impressive weekend, you could see them showing up in Dragon Gate. Um, and a lot of these guys, like knowing them semi-personally, they are going to be very excited with that possibility. A lot of them are Dragon Gate fans, um, as mentioned, Brooks and Lycos especially. Mm. Um, and I feel like Fight Club Pro is very influenced by... Dragon Gate with all the crazy multi-mans and stuff. Um, it does feel at times a lot like Dragon Gate as uh, DDT feels to uh, uh, attack. Like You can see the influences there. So yeah, it's not a surprise. Yeah. Um, I I am perhaps most excited for Overgeneration versus uh, CCK on night two. I think yeah. that has potential to be an absolutely tremendous match. Um, in terms of night one, um, the four-way tag match, um, Scarlet and Greys versus OI4K versus Black Coffee versus Aussie Open, like, that That just has amazing, amazing spot fest written all over it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping they perhaps... I don't know, um, this is going to be me going back into my, my grumpiness of ten minutes ago. Um, <laughs> Fight Club Pro this year has done it for me a bit less than Fight Club Pro of previous years, because I think they've they've kind of transitioned in styles a little. They used to be like this, the, the MO of the promotion was hard-hitting action previously, yeah. whereas now it's it's kind of UK PWG, um, in that there's a lot of comedy mixed in, and we all know I'm very grumpy and rarely <laughs> enjoy comedy if it doesn't include Chuck Taylor. Um, and also, it's a, it's a fine line from going hard hitting, like strong style, like big Japan inspired action, um, to excessive indie action and I think for me at least a lot of the stuff from Fight Club Pro this year has has gone into like the PWG a couple moves to many excessive indie action as opposed to previously where it was um, kind of that 
he was very fighting spirity as opposed to now a lot of the time it ends up for me a little too movesy um i'm hoping here that because um uh, because dragon gate are over and lots of people are trying to impress dragon gate guys that they may retreat slightly within their shell a little do a little less of the comedy uh, a little less of the excessiveness bring it back to basics a tiny bit uh, and and kind of go toward more towards the the hard hitting mm-hmm. um, all action style as opposed to the comedy all the move style. But um, that's probably that's overly critical because uh, for the criticism PWG has, it's still very very good. Um, aside from the distribution model, um, but there are those those problems in that wrestlers do do too much. Uh, a lot of the time. Yeah, um, I, I felt the same way about Fight Club Pro as you this year. Um, to a certain extent, there have been a lot of fun matches that have managed to stay, you know, on the other side of Spot Festy. Uh, but yeah, they've definitely leaned into that style and, like, they're loading up m- m- a lot more multi man matches, you know, four ways. They, they did, like, a, a really fun eight way on the Capital Cockknocker show, which I watched this week. Um, which was very fun, but yeah, like very much influenced in comedy and not for first timers, I think is the key. Like they're not trying to impress a new crowd. They're playing to their base and like, oh, here's Pete Dunne doing funny things because it's Pete Dunne, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think a big thing is, um, Fight Club Pro shows are very much geared to the live crowd. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that more than a lot of other promotions, they they care less about the the tape audience. Um, not that's not to say they don't care at all about them, but it kind of feels like they put a show on for the live crowd and they just happen to record it, and then if people want to watch it, they could also buy it and watch it. And I think a lot of the comedy and the overkill wrestling plays a lot better to a live crowd when you're there in person than it does to you know um. Because in general, you're always more critical when you're watching on tape, um, and the problems stick out more blatantly. Um, but yeah, that's that's come off way more critical than I meant it to, um, <laughs> because I think both these cars look really, really fun. These are uh, two shows we're definitely excited for. Yeah. Um, if I don't manage to get to them live, I'm definitely going to be checking stuff out for them on, on tape. Um, and that's after saying Fight Club Pro doesn't translate perfectly <laughs> to tape. Um, so, so yeah, uh, Project Mayhem 6 looks insane. Um, so, yeah, as we said, September 22nd, September 21st, uh, 23rd uh, at in Wolverhampton. Um, you do wish that it was a slightly more, even if it was just in, <laughs> even if it was just in Birmingham. Yeah, it'd be so much easier to get out of. But you know, um, well, it's because it's a lot cheaper in Wolverhampton. That's true. But that's true. <laughs> you, you cannot leave Wolverhampton once you've entered. Yeah, especially at the times Fight Club Pro shows. Eleven forty-five, whatever. <laughs> Speaking you have of cars, shows right? ending late, um, here is a a beautiful segue. Mm-hmm. I ruined by talking about it. Uh, speaking of shows ending late um, and overrunning, what culture pro wrestling recently held its final free shows of the Pro Wrestling World Cup? 
And my biggest takeaway from this is that they do not know how to time out shows. <laughs> um, because they had a show run an hour and a half over time, and you could th- they were live streaming it on YouTube uh, for free, which was cool. Um, and you can visibly see crowds standing up and leaving, and looking like annoyed that they had to leave because they were just getting to the main event and stuff. And they were like, "Well, we have to leave now because you said the show would end at ten, and it's now eleven thirty. Um, yeah, learn to time out a show. Not every match needs to go 20 minutes plus. Is my main takeaway. Because I'm very grumpy. (laughs) Um, now, slightly away from that gimmick that I I just did, um, I enjoyed quite a bit of, um, what culture's final three shows? They, the first show was in Milton Keynes. I was at live. Uh, that was uh, the round of sixteen show. Um, then the next show, the day following, which was I think Manchester, um, they ran. Um, they 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 did like a loaded taping and then followed it up with the four quarter final matches, um, and they only streamed the the quarter final matches live. Uh, that was the show that went stupidly long, um, because they had four matches go, uh, I think two and a quarter hours in total, yeah. and <laughs> and that was on top of like. I feel like all these matches went a little too long. And that was on top of like two and a quarter hours of loaded taping, so the crowd went dead by the end. Poor crowd. Um, and then they streamed the final as well. Uh, I think two days later from Newcastle. Uh, we won't go through every single match because that's a lot of matches, but um, you didn't see much of the round of 16 show, did you? Only the main event. Um, I saw bits and pieces of the other matches, but skippy skippy. Yeah, um, the I thought the round of 16 show overall was a, actually a, a very good show. Um, I thought it, it peaked well. Almost everything was good, aside from the Joseph Connors match, because yes, he came back from WWE and they treated him like a god, uh, <laughs> and then he had bad matches and a boring, uh, we had a bad match with Joe Kofi and a boring match with Hiromu, and then a kind of boring match with uh, Kushida as well. The Kushida one, I at least watched the whole thing without like looking at my phone, so. <laughs> yeah, that was probably harsher than the Kushida match. The Kushida match was a good match, but like it wasn't anything overly special. It was like three and a quarter star. Um, the Hiromu match was technically sound, but kind of boring. Very dry. And the uh, Joe Kofi match was full of botches, and Joe Connors forgetting to... Right, one spot that absolutely infuriated <laughs> me... I've just worked myself up here. Um, <laughs> one spot that infuriated me. Joe Kofi, huge guy, top rope, crossbody splash. Joe Connors doesn't sell it at all. It's not a no-sell. He forgets to sell it. He just stands up. He doesn't do... Like, what are you doing? That's a huge move. He takes the, the top rope crossbody, and yes, he does the kind of roll-through thing where he then mm. pins him, but he still took the crossbody, and he then completely ignores <laughs> that he's taken a crossbody off a 300-pound You only saw the last move that happened, and if the last move was a pin. <laughs> and then, like, other parts of the match, he's turning the wrong way. Like, he, he turned the wrong way off a kick from the apron. <laughs> like, how do you do that? He he, tur- he got kicked, and he then turned into the kick. That's not how physics... Like, what are you doing? WWE's 
Joseph Connors, everyone. He's so bad. He, he's a bad wrestler. Like, you don't get many Major League bad wrestlers anymore. Who've been doing it for a decade. Because we live in a time when the, the general wrestling standard is very good. And even yeah. if you, you get some boring wrestlers, but most of them are technically proficient. Joseph Connors isn't even technically proficient. He's a bad wrestler. I bet after all we've said on this con- uh, on this podcast, the thing we're gonna get picked up on is <laughs> ragging on Joe Connors. <laughs> well, you can you can call me out for that all you want. Uh, I will <laughs> stick to my guns uh, forever. He is he is a bad wrestler. Um, yeah, and, and he has no intensity, and he calls himself the uh, what's it something killer something killer. I forget the the exact name. Righteous killer. You'd expect someone who has that nickname to bring some intensity, but no. He's dry as can be and isn't even completely technically proficient. Um, ah, grr. Um, and he, he, he progressed all the way to the semi-finals running several matches. <sighs> but yeah, as I was saying, the <laughs> actual, um, the round of 16 show, apart from that, was full of good matches. And then the final two matches, which were Zack Sabre Jr. versus Jay Lethal, and then Will Ospreay versus uh, Rey Mysterio, both very good matches. Um, overall, I, I very yeah. much enjoyed that show. Osprey and... Mysterio was really good. Uh, Mysterio kind of turned back the clock a little bit on this little UK tour he did. Uh, the Mighty Skull match was a lot better than everyone was expecting, and I thought this one was genuinely very good. Meltzer gave it four and a half stars, uh, which is a little kind. Obviously, it would have been six and a half in Japan. Um, <laughs> but... It, it, it was definitely a very strong match, and Osprey lapped everyone else in this tournament. I thought all four of his matches were probably the best four matches in the tournament. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't argue too much with that. Um, uh, there was one spot where, like, I, I think they slipped on the ropes or something, and if that hadn't been there, I'd have been four stars for Osprey Mysterio, and that's crazy to say about a 2017 Mysterio match. Because I think most of 2017 Mysterio matches have been yeah. actively bad. This wasn't five star wrestling, Rey Mysterio. This was uh, you know, Lucha Legend, Rey Mysterio. Yeah, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not being stupid. I'm not saying this was prime Mysterio because that's a stupid statement to make. No, obviously. But he was doing his like signature stuff better than I've seen him do it in like five years, um, and like. He just looked so more mobile than he had mm. previously. Um, he was he was really good here. And I, I think, I think the rest, of, like having a bit of the rest, has done him a lot of good. And I think a lot of credit has to be given to Osprey because I I don't mm-hmm. think Osprey gets enough credit for being how good a base he is. Um, because he's really good at that. Like if you look at the matches he's had with High Flyers, he's had the best match with so many. Like he's had the best twenty seventeen. Well, like he's had had the best Mysterio match of this era, um, mm-hmm. of like post WWE. I argue, um, I can't think of a better one. Um, he's had, um, he's had an absolutely phenomenal match with Mark Andrews. I think that's Mark Andrews's best match. Um, Sidal, Sidal's best matches. Um, Flash Morgan Webster's best match. Yeah, in that freeway with Gibson. Um, yeah, the only time I've ever been like, you know what, Flash Morgan Webster might be really good. And then he, <laughs> he wrestled someone else, and I was like, oh no, he's just—he's still Flash Morgan Webster. It's just he was in there with Osprey, and he can make any fly, high flyer look absolutely amazing. And like, 
it took me a while to kind of realise this, but like, it's happened so many times now that it can't be a coincidence. Will's just really good with other high flyers. Like, he, he's just a great base. Mm. This was actually the first time I'd seen Osprey in a little bit, because obviously he wasn't in New Japan for the G1 tour. He's been in Australia recently, and I haven't seen any of those uh, shows. I should probably get on that. It's the hot new scene. We're going to get replaced <laughs> sooner or later by the Aussies, and they'll have the coolest scene soon enough. But uh, he kind of came back to Britain very, very motivated, and like this tournament shows it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, quarterfinals, as we said, they were all way too... Like, I think every... All... F- mm. Three of the quarterfinals went over 20 minutes, and yeah. I'm strongly of the opinion that there's like, there's maybe 20 wrestlers in the world who should go over 20 minutes, and like, most of them weren't in this tournament. Um, the Osprey-Bailey match from the quarterfinals, there is an absolutely amazing, maybe 15 minute match hidden within there, <laughs> but they went 25 minutes, and like... Especially with Bailey, I really like Bailey. I know a lot of people are kind of like, nah, he's low rent. In general, I really like Bailey, um, mm-hmm. but having him go 25 minutes exposes that 95% of his offense is either a kick or a flip that he lands on his knees. And <laughs> like when it's like you... Haskins with the rolls, <laughs> you're exposing him. <laughs> <laughs> like when someone spells that out to you, because I, I was kind of having a conversation with Ian, Ian Hamilton at the time when these shows were happening, he was like, I wish he'd do something else. And it's like, to to give him credit, the, the kicks look great, the the flipping onto the knees look great, but 25 minutes into a match, you're like, it stops having the same effects when you've seen 100 kicks in the match and 10 uh, shooting star knee drops. Mm. You're like, well, can, can we have something else here? Um, I mean, compared to the other three matches on the show, this was easily the best one in yeah. the quarterfinals. Um but I, I get what you mean. It got a bit long in the tooth towards the end, but there was some great stuff in there. There was some absolutely insane stuff. Like, I've, I've yeah. just ragged on um, uh, Bailey for doing these flips into the knees, but the best one I've ever seen is <laughs> Osprey standing up, facing Bailey. Yeah. Bailey does his shooting star knees, like, into kind of a meteora. It was insane. Yeah, that was amazing. I, I, I <laughs> Big fan so of that. huge move. for that match. Uh, that, um,. Uh, that spot. Um, but yeah, it did. It did as as I've previously ragged on the the timings. There, yeah, and I think the oh, what was it? Kushida Saber. Oh my god! Like it's like a flashback to April. <laughs> don't keep those two away from each other. They have horrible yeah. matches together. Like these are two, these. Kushida is one of my favorite wrestlers, and. I've always said Zack Sabre Jr. is very hit or miss. It's just when he hits, he's really, really good, but when he does miss quite a lot. Um, but the person he seems to most easily miss with is Kushida. Um, they they do not have good matches together, no. but they and do have they very also, long matches together. It's in their contract to have matches on shows that are overrunning. <laughs> yes, yes. And um, then have plodding technical matches <laughs> in the overrunning building. And people will say, oh, you mix. just don't a- appreciate technical stuff. I like technical matches when they're wrestled with purpose. Um, and a-, a great 
um, example of that is um, uh, one of my favourite matchups uh, from you know, ever um, series of matchups is Kyle O'Reilly versus Kushida. They wrestle a very technical style, but they wrestle with purpose. Um, when Kushida gets in there in with, with Zack, they're kind of just doing stuff for like 30 minutes, and I'm going to sleep. And yeah, that's such a waste of Kushida, because that was... It's quite something when Zack Sabre Jr. had a worse match with Kushida than Joseph Connors, and I've just gone on the rant I've gone on about Joseph <laughs> Connors. Speaking <laughs> of which, semi-finals. Kushida versus Joe Connors, and it was a match, certainly. I think these two work together better than any of other their opponent, uh, like Kushida's previous opponents and Connors' previous opponents in this tournament. Like they had a natural dynamic, but yeah, it was a bit stunted. Like as I said, I watched the whole match without getting bored and looking away. Uh, so at least they managed that. Yeah, Kushida uh, Connors looked like a, a solid wrestler here. Um, and Kushida looked great, and he, you know, it wasn't like a complete carry job, but it was, it was clear who the better wrestler was. Um, I was delighted when Kushida won, because I was really expecting Connors to get to the final yeah. at this stage. <laughs> uh, it was kind of like, well, like, WWE has probably said, yeah, you could use him, but he, he's got to get to the final. Uh, he's got to win a lot of matches. Uh, he's not losing to a New Japan guy, but he did, which I was kind of surprised at, but probably says more about how little they care about Connors than... <laughs> Um, any sort of um, softening of stance towards New Japan or uh, even what culture. Mm. Um, and then the other semi-final was Osprey Ricochet versus, Ricochet versus Osprey in a Ricochet versus Osprey match. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought this was a lot more grounded than their previous ones, perhaps because they weren't going as hard as in the previous ones and obviously Osprey had a match later on and he probably wasn't going to blow the gas gasket even on uh on this one but it, I, it was it was all right still uh but certainly nothing like their Corican matches I think this was one of their better um matches together that were aside from the New Japan matches because a lot of like most of the times they end up um in indie matches against each other, they always feel like parodies of their original yeah, New no, Japan Yeah, I get what you mean. Matches. Like, doing the New Japan match at half speed, or whatever. And, like, throwing in comedy or something. And This one, it was... Another thing I like is that they didn't... They didn't do the... Uh, this is going to bury my previous point of saying I do like technical stuff. Um, but they didn't do the chain wrestling that they did uh, at the start of the New Japan matches, because... In the New Japan matches, I always thought that like they were going, we're going to get buried for having these matches by these veterans, but we're going to start it off with doing a load of chain wrestling to show, yeah, we can wrestle. <laughs> Look, and, I, like, I really like the way they started this one with uh, their coat still on, you know, flapping about as they were doing the flips. Like yeah. it, it set the tone. Well. They just got straight into it. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> in like their New Japan matches, it was kind of like, well, when are you going to actually start doing the stuff people care about? Because while you can technically do the the like uh, the chain wrestling aspect, you're not very good at it in the sense that you you just go. It feels like you're going through the motions. There's no purpose to the chain wrestling you're doing. You're just doing it because you think that's how you start off a match, and then things escalated later and got really good. 
Um, here, they just went straight to the good part. So yeah, then the rest of the um, final show was absolute dross. It was, <laughs> um, and like everything that wasn't Pro Wrestling World Cup on this Pro Wrestling World Cup final, and there was like a handful of matches. It was, uh, you know, most of it's left my mind by now. But I think it was Zack Saber Joe Hendry versus Jack Swagger. <laughs> yeah, that was that was not good. Um, Ligero versus Rampage, that was really bad. Um, well, that was more of a segment than a match, really, but um, it was a poorly booked segment, though. Um, and what was the other thing? It was that Sabre Jr. versus... Uh, not Lucas Archer. What's the other one's name? Uh, Alex Gracie. That's his name. Um, yeah, Alex Gracie really isn't very good as a heel. Uh, he has no dynamism, no charisma. This this was not the greatest advert for Watch Culture Pro Wrestling for me, as a person who's already kind of against it because it's basically an advert for a clickbait website. Um, obviously, you're like a bit more into it or like invested in it, well, maybe by default because <laughs> you drew the short straw and had to do what culture reviews for a while. Uh, <laughs> but what is this standard fare for? What is are their shows? Um. What culture's weird in that you'll get it's usually you'll get a whole show of something. Either you'll get a whole show where it's good, or you'll get a whole show like this. And it's like a the cards are no indication of how it will be. You can get like a card that doesn't look that great and then it'll end up being a pretty good show, and or you could get a great looking card and it'll become horribly overbooked and everything's trash. And you never know what you're getting before you're going in. You can you can look at the card and go fine, I'll sign up for that review, it doesn't look too bad, and then you, shit, why am I sitting through this four-hour <laughs> pile of steaming horse crap? Um, yeah, uh, but yeah, as you said, this wasn't a good advert, but I thought the, the Pro Wrestling World Cup stuff on this show that was part of the tournament was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I guess we're, we'll go on to the final now. Uh, Kushida versus Osprey. They've had better matches. This is Probably their worst match together, but that's quite a high bar to yeah. clear in the first place. Like I, I thought it was, I thought it was good, and it, it was masterful. How they've clearly been told you need this story point thrown into this match, uh, with the whole to solidify Osprey's face turn in um in what culture, um, with them, uh, B Priestley coming in. Uh, looking to interfere, and Osprey going, no, 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 don't hit him with the title, I'm a good guy now. Um, and, you know, that I'm making fun of it, but I thought it was actually quite well done in something that could have easily been yeah, very yeah. disruptive it to the match. fit into the match very nicely, and, like, it wasn't near the end, so it didn't, like, telegraph the finish or anything, um, and they played it in nicely. It kind of builds off the back of the Kushida-Osprey feud in New Japan, where Osprey just can't get past Kushida, and he doesn't want to get the first win through underhanded tactics. So they, they built on the New Japan stuff for their own story really well here. And obviously the highlight of the match was Osprey's massive dive to the outside over the barricade onto Kushida and his boys. Um, I can't remember their names now. <laughs> um, the South Coast Connection. Uh, yeah. Uh, jo- not Josh Wall. What's his name else? Kelly Six. Kelly Six and Ashley, Ashley Dunn. Dunn. There we go. Yeah, um, that, I quite that like them as like, young spot. boys. Um, yeah, yeah. For, for Osprey, 
Um, I didn't realise he'd had a hand in training them, but apparently he has. Um, and when you look back, it makes a lot of sense uh, in that a lot of their best performances have come um, in, in stuff linked with Osprey. Um, yeah, uh, I was surprised Kushida won. I was very much expecting Osprey to win. Um, I don't have a problem with it. Uh, I actually thought it was it was quite cool. Um, and it, it very much opens up if they, they end up doing the World Cup again, which I'm not entirely sure they will be doing. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of uh, transition to that in a, in a second. Um, but uh, where was I going there? Oh, yeah. Um, but Kushida winning and not being like what you would consider a, a what culture guy. Whereas, like, I think you can consider Osprey very much a what culture guy. Um, I expected a what culture guy to win the first big World Cup tournament. Um, mm-hmm. But by having Kushida win it, it means if they do do the tournament again, everyone's a distinct possibility to win. It, it's not guys just filling in the numbers because they need two Japanese guys and they don't have any Japanese guys on the roster. Um, a guy who is very much a New Japan guy and I think he's wrestled one match in non-Pro Wrestling World Cup what culture, and that was over this weekend because he was here for the Pro Wrestling World Cup, won the whole thing. Um, so yeah, that was that was cool to see. Um, they also gave him a gigantic trophy, which is what you want to see in a tournament final. Um, <laughs> I think if you win a thing, you should get something worthy of winning the thing, and it kind of legitimises the, the tournament as a whole. It's not a fake tournament, as Ian would put it. I mean, it was broken like twelve seconds later. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like the last thing on the the like the YouTube tape is uh, <laughs> the, the lid falling off the trophy. It's like goodbye, folks. <laughs> and um, they they taped a, a loaded episode actually after the final. Um, and as you may have noticed, like the the show cut off quite quickly. Um, that's because like twelve seconds after the. Uh, the, the the lid fell off. Kushida apparently picked up the lid, put it back on. Prestige hit the ring, uh, beat up Kushida, broke the trophy, um, and then Osprey came out to try and help Kushida, and Prestige beat up Osprey as well, and B Priestley and uh, the South Coast Connection because we're not going to do the whole name thing again where we both struggle to remember. <laughs> uh, Ashley Dunn and Kelly Six. Look, we know, oh, okay. we know. Um, we're smart. Yeah. Um, yeah, oh, overall thoughts on the Pro Wrestling World Cup. I I know I've seen every single match of it um, because I ended up reviewing all of it. Uh, how much have you ended up seeing? Um, I didn't actually see any of the qualifying shows. I've only seen these um, the last three shows here, the the, the round of sixteen onwards shows. Um, and I think it has been a boon for what culture, obviously, because um, like I haven't been watching it and this drew me in a little bit. I was I was definitely intrigued by it. It gave them an identity and something to build towards because I think that is kind of what you get from watching WCPW is that it just doesn't have an identity. It's just matches happening a lot of the time in like a weird arena where not a lot of people care. Full of um, you know, villain club t shirts and <laughs> people standing up like going crazy five minutes into the match but then not making any noise for the rest of it. It's it's an odd environment, um, and obviously advert for clickbait is always in the back of your mind. But I feel like they did right by this World Cup. They managed to book it solidly, without um, 
you know, they only had two people to sub out for for people who qualified, which is fairly impressive and less than I would have imagined because I was thinking they're booking this so far in advance, something's going to change, and obviously Galloway leaving and Elgin not coming in. Um, a few minuses there, but in general they managed to keep everything very solid all together um, and had a lot of good matches, especially the Osprey matches. So uh, it's definitely been good for WCPW, but obviously it's not their regular output, so it, it does feel kind of like a one-off for me with this promotion. Right, so here's where I uh, I say something a little unexpected. Um, I don't think the World Cup can be deemed a success. Um, and that's with me saying that overall I enjoy it. I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. I love the concept. Uh, I think they executed it quite well. Actually, I think, I, I, I think it's fair to say they executed it well. Um, there are a few things they could have done perhaps a bit better, but overall I think they, they did well by it. Um, having Kashida win, as I said, uh, was good. Um, they had some very good matches. I think um, the Mike Bailey, Kyle O'Reilly match from the, the Canadian qualifier is a match I think everyone should go out of their way to see. I thought that was an absolutely phenomenal match. Um, that's uh, And it's available free on YouTube, so you, you have no excuse, uh, aside from obviously everyone is always perpetually behind on wrestling. <laughs> um but I don't know. It it didn't. Here's where um, I have to kind of make a, a distinction, um, especially as we talked so much about booking earlier in the show. Yeah. Um, I think you have to approach booking from two separate sides. And what we were talking about earlier in the show um, was the aesthetic style of booking. Um, and what I'm talking about here is the, the business side of booking. Um, and I think both have very much have value, and people will often only focus on one of the two and completely dismiss yeah, the yeah. other side. <laughs> um, We're all guilty of it. And I, I think a lot of people who are very focused on business with booking, they will completely say, "Well, if it draws, then um, you know the book it's well booked." And I, I don't a hundred percent agree. Um, and to kind of use a TV analogy, I think you can say the plot of a show is good and therefore well written, um, and that comment has you know has validity. But it, you could also say, well, the show's not doing well; uh, it's not getting good ratings. It's clearly not written. Like maybe the writers could do better things to help it draw in better ratings. And I think they both have. Um, uh, a validity to them. Um, I don't think just because something draws well, um, you can say um, it dismisses all criticisms from an aesthetic standpoint in the same way that if a match draws well, you can say, I didn't enjoy the match. Um, I I think there's a degree of nuance that people sometimes struggle with there. uh, From from both sides. Especially on Twitter, where you only have (laughs) so many words to put it in. Yeah, yeah, that for, that's 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 very true, um, and again, that probably came across as very condescending. And a look, guys, no, 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 I, no, I know best here, um, but uh, it, it's understandable. Definitely. What, what I'm trying to clarify is that while I, the World Cup, is the most I've been in to what culture from an aesthetic standpoint. Yeah, 
I think from a business standpoint, it can't be deemed a success because these shows have not drawn particularly well and they've been very expensive to run. Mm. Um, and they're being streamed live on YouTube and, you know, everyone knows the problems with uh, uh, wrestling on YouTube uh, since, you know, midway through 2017. Revenue from that has gone uh, significantly down, um, which has seen uh, what culture move um, some of their focus towards Twitch, um, where they can uh, pull in a bit more revenue. Um, but yeah, I think it's an under-talked about story in BritRess, um, probably because not too many people care about what culture too much, but it's an under-talked about uh, story in how much um, WCPW's drawing power has diminished in the second half of the year. Um, and there's no better indication of, of that than um, looking at uh, a, the same venue uh, in Milton Keynes, uh, Planet Ice, I was there for the second one, I wasn't there for the first one. Um, but in the, I think it was February for a show called True Destiny, um, they drew, I believe it was 2000... Uh, let me let me get these numbers up because um, I had them here somewhere and now I've lost them. Uh, edit this out, future Rob. <laughs> I forget what their big show drew in MK, but it was it was significant. True destiny. Right, um, True Destiny, 12th of February, um, 2017, so not that long ago, um, they ran Planet Ice and drew 2,500 people. That's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, and everyone praised them for it at the time. They came back to Planet Ice, uh, for the World Cup in August, so what, uh, six months on? Uh, exact same venue. And they drew about 800 people. That's that's a big problem. With the World Cup field, like an indie all-star group? Yeah. Now, to clarify, True Destiny had a very stacked lineup. Uh, they had Ricochet versus Osprey, which is, you know, drawing in the hardcore fans, as well as Travis Banks versus Zack Sabre Jr. But also, towards the top of the card, they had uh, Alberto El Patron versus Kurt Angle, um, which is obviously... Uh, two big stars in the wrestling world, um, and they're going to draw in a lot of people. But, um, at the same time, the Pro Wrestling World Cup show that they had in, in Milton Keynes had Rey Mysterio main eventing. He's not... He's not I'd yeah. say Rey Mysterio is a bigger star than Alberto El Patron. He's probably a bigger star than Kurt Angle, but, you know, at they're, least they're comparable. At the same level, if not. Um, so it's not like this... Um, they had amazingly reduced star power for the World Cup show, and they have, I I think at at best, they drew about a thousand for the World Cup show, and maybe the at best they've halved, but I think it's more like a third, a third of their audience in Milton Keynes, and mm. it's not just there. Like the Manchester shows are drawing significantly worse. The Newcastle shows I think are actually doing um pretty well, um but they were never like booming in the first place. Overall. Some of the shine has come off what culture, and it's mm, under-talked about, because they were drawing huge numbers 
not that long ago. Like, as, as I say, six months ago, and now they're, like, they're, they're drawing, when they draw over a thousand, it's a victory for them now. Whereas previously, as I said, six months ago, um, they were, you know, yeah, doing yeah. several shows over 2,000 people. That's I mean, they, quite the drop they were just growing and growing and growing at one point. Like, obviously, in February, they had only been live as a promotion for, like, nine months, and they were already doing 2,500 in, um, you know, Milton Keynes, which isn't, like, <laughs> London or anything. Like, there's less people around. So, yeah, it's, obviously... It's far from a hotbed of wrestling, either. Yeah, like, a um, lot of travel, people traveling there. Good Wrestling, um, which is the, the local promotion there, um... It's, it runs uh, just over a th- 100 fans. And it, it's a small, very local show, but it's very pleased with 100 fans, and it's grown to that stage. So it's not like a, a huge place, but so that they managed to draw 2,500 there in the first place is very good. And to be honest, drawing um, 800, 900 or so isn't a complete disaster um, there, but it's it's the trend that's worrying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a, a boom and bust what culture growth and then decline right now um like it's all been very sudden they've only been around for just over a year and <laughs> we're already talking about them declining in <laughs> numbers it's it's very strange but that just like shows just how quickly they grew like with with the machine behind them um the clickbait machine like people like clustered to it but i guess it, the quality of the shows aren't, isn't keeping people around. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think it's a hundred percent fair to like say this is the World Cup's fault, and I'm I'm not saying that. Um, but at the same time, since the World Cup has started and it has been kind of the focus of the promotion, mm. this decline has happened. And I'm not saying it's caused the decline, but it's not a positive from a business sense. I don't think you can say it's a success. Um, the early um, loaders that they're running on YouTube um, got more views than the um, Pro Wrestling World Cup Finals, and the Pro Wrestling World Cup Finals had a lot more uh, stars on them. Yeah. Um, now, what is actually the cause? I'm I'm not 100% sure. I think part of it was the novelty at first, um, and and the one good thing you can say about you know super hardcore fans is that they they will. Um, they will come to a lot of shows. Like, we will go to a lot of shows, we'll spend a lot of money on shows. There may not be a super large number of us, and in general we are very critical, um, but we will spend money. Um, these what culture shows, and maybe the they're slightly less hardcore, because from, from a general sense in that... Um, they're watching a show on YouTube for free as opposed to paying a show. In general, that's going to show less of a, an inclination to pay money for, for things. And I think that's starting to bear out. Um, people have been to a What Culture show and maybe they don't want to go to several, uh, one every couple of months. Some people do, yeah. but, but, you know, not everyone wants to. Um, also, I think them doing less on YouTube has hurt them. Um, oh yeah, like that significantly reduces your audience. That's um, their market. Yeah. Um, so then, they 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 restarted loaded up now. So it'll be interesting to see if their draw ring starts to pick up again. Um, but um, 
moving their bigger shows over to What Culture Extra, um, their subscription service, I think may hurt them in the long run because I don't know that. While obviously it's good to be able to monetize your shows, they are like a YouTube company, and I'm not sure if they quite have the legs to be, you know, a more typical indie because they are not a typical indie. They are a promotion built from a YouTube channel that made fun of wrestling um, <laughs> and is now making wrestling that gets made fun of. Um, it's very strange. <laughs> it, it's when, when it's all said and done, we're going to look back on this, and it's, it is a weird one, certainly. As you say, the YouTube channel was all top ten lists and, you know, raw reviews in, like, a tongue-in-cheek fashion. And then saying the final deletion was shit and whatnot, um, and yeah, it's turned into this this World Cup and like taking wrestling seriously, and it's it's bizarre, and <laughs> it's almost like they as they take the wrestling and the stars more seriously, their viewership has declined. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, because they're always going to have that thing that. These what culture uh, World Cup shows had great crowds, uh, no, sorry, uh, great cards, but like a lot of people in our bubble, they they just dismissed them offhand, going, eh, yeah, it's a what culture, culture show. Why would I watch? Who cares? It's not for me. <laughs> um, and honestly, they are slightly, and it's it's a slow process, and it's no, but by no means a hundred percent. But they're slowly catering more and more towards this hardcore bubble. But they um, put us off so vehemently early on that it's difficult to be like, yeah, I'll watch a what culture show. And in doing so, they may be slightly alienating their original audience. Maybe mm. maybe they do want to see Martin Kirby wearing a skirt as opposed to um, Young Bucks versus War Machine. Um, I know which one I'd prefer to see. Uh, maybe the Young Bucks is a bad example of that, but um, I don't know. Uh, War Machine versus CCK or something. Um, I would love to see that match if if What Culture put it on. It doesn't seem like it'd be something alien for them to put on at the moment. Um, but maybe What Co- you know, their their core demographic of YouTube fans, they're the guys who want to see um, Martin Kirby wearing a skirt and would enjoy that far more than a great wrestling match. Um, you know, whatever floats your boat, I guess. But um, you're not going to be listening to this podcast, I'm sure. Um, and and it's your loss because this is great content. Oh. <laughs> uh, we've gone pretty long now. Um, so we're not going to get too much time to bury five star wrestling. So we'll just say they're a bunch of shit bags, and uh, I, I expect them to um. To crash and burn horribly on yet again. <laughs> um, it, it's been like two years since we started talking about them. It it will never end. Yeah. Every time you think it's over, we can finally put it past them. <laughs> this one was the most surprising yet. It just managed to resuscitate like some horrible zombie. <laughs> and like start it, beef with PCW. And I I think um. Play sports, I believe. Like they just got inundated with like messages and comments saying what they like, what five star were, and what people think of them, and what like what they've done. 
and it's just it's horrible to see the social media guy for um play sports oh, what is what is it free sports sorry free sports um for social media guy for free sports um trying to defend the move and like <laughs> let's just see how it plays out <laughs> like, it's it's poor guy because he's clearly yeah. probably not a wrestling fan he's just, he doesn't know what's going on he's, he's just, just he can't go oh yeah sorry guys uh didn't realize there were a bunch of shitbags. That's not his job. Like, uh, yeah, we fucked up. <laughs> but, but yeah, he's he's in a bit of a in untenable position there. Yeah. Um. But you know. Um, yeah. But we we listened to our previous episodes to hear further burials of five star wrestling. One of our first episodes of the show, actually. Um, burying. That's how long it's been. It's literally been two years since they announced like that first show, that first run of shows. And we were saying, hmm, they're probably not going to fill those buildings, are they? And two years later, we're still saying it. Except now, we're also... <laughs> There's a lot of baggage in between. <laughs> after my that, eyes um, have drooped physically. I'm not sure we ever talked about it on the podcast, but after that first uh, time we talked about Five Star and kind of buried them, uh, I got an angry email from, uh, I forget his name, but the, the promoter of Five Star Wrestling. Um, uh, accusing me of of slander, um, and demanding to come onto the, the podcast to fight his point, which I said, yeah, sure, we'll do that. Uh, and then he said, okay, do it now. And I was like, well, I I can't. Um, for a start, um, you know, I I have other things in my life other than co- recording wrestling podcasts. <laughs> Not too many other things. I am a if if he wanted to bankroll us, like he he's clearly got the money to like sustain us to perpetually do a podcast. <laughs> like I said he could be on but uh, he said no today and I was like well sorry I can't today um, so instead I replied via email to all his points that he brought up um, going through individually and pointing out where he was wrong or backing off our own point um, to, to which he replied okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and we, I then said uh, do you still want to uh, be on the podcast we can uh, get you in at this date and I think it was like um, three days after or something, and he and never never got another reply from him. But uh, yeah, uh, that was that was a fun time. That was a long time ago now, and um, I wonder if we'll get another angry email now. <laughs> I doubt he'll listen two hours into the podcast, but uh, maybe someone will at him about it again and say, "Ah, these guys yeah, burying the, the tattletales." He's probably got uh, <laughs> enough enough people burying him now. Uh, yeah, uh, he doesn't have time to send angry emails to everyone on Twitter. It, the heady days of 2015 when Five Star might have been good at some point. Yeah. Yeah. They booked some decent people at first. And then for the second lot, they also booked some decent people, but then cancelled on all of them. Uh, and cost them money. Yeah. Cost them bookings. That's. Yeah. I think we're about done now. I think we are, yeah. <laughs> Don't go to those Five Star shows that won't happen. <laughs> yeah, don't buy tickets. Yeah, that was what we got in trouble for. Because uh, I said, don't buy tickets because they might get cancelled. Um, and then they did. <laughs> to be fair, those those the, shows the first shows didn't. Cancelled. But yeah, they just ran yeah. almost completely empty. Uh, but I was vindicated in in time in that uh, they ended up being cancelled. Uh, some later shows. Um, but yeah, I, I said something like, um, don't buy your tickets right now. They're not going to sell out, so wait. Brickrest has a history of 
uh, these big stadium shows being booked and then cancelled when not enough people buy tickets. So wait it out. Um, you'll probably be able to walk up to the stadium and, and buy a ticket if you want to. Um, and he got very angry at me for that because he said, you're taking money out of my pocket by saying that sort of thing. I said, I didn't say not to buy a ticket. I would say not to buy a ticket now because um, you are a poorly run company um, who does badly by the wrestlers. But uh, at the time, I didn't say that. But you know. Yeah. That was me uh, going on another rant after <laughs> ending the podcast. Um, a frustrating experience. <laughs> yeah. Um, Voicesofwrestling.com slash Amazon, uh, if you're in the US, of course, oh, or slash SeatGeek, or I forget the third one, uh, slash WWE Shop. Uh, if you're going to be using any of those services, uh, you don't pay a penny extra, we get a little kickback. Helps us keep running podcasts. Uh, you can find a absolute plethora of European wrestling reviews and the occasional preview and that sort of thing uh, over on voicesofwrestling.com. Andrew Sinclair has recently thrown up a uh, WXW Fans Appreciation Night um, review. We've got three reviews of progress uh, from recent shows. Uh, Chapter 54, the Boston show and the New York show. They're from uh, Lee and Arn. Um, they teamed up to do those. Uh, we got Lee doing an OTT review from their big WrestleRama National Stadium show. Oh, there's there's my review from uh, the Pro Wrestling World Cup, if you haven't heard enough of my views on that. Uh, Suit Williams doing Stacked from WCPW. You doing um, Summer Sizzler. We've, we've got a whole range, and we will continue to pump them out. Um, upcoming, we'll have, obviously, reviews of the Ali Pali show when it drops on... Um, VOD. I think you've got a couple of uh, cockpit shows coming up. Yes. To reviews, building up a bit of a, a backlog. <laughs> so I'll be uh, whipping you on them. Um, we'll have Project Mayhem reviews when they come out. So yeah, a bunch of stuff coming up, and you can see have all your reviews and column needs over on VoicesWrestling.com, uh, as well as a whole range of other podcasts. Uh, obviously, the flagship Shake Them Ropes covering WWE. Uh, wrestling Omakaze, covering a different topic each week. Music of the Mat, uh, Burning Spirits, New Japan Purocast. I feel really bad because I'm probably missing someone. Uh, Everything Evolves. Uh, what else am I missing, Ollie? WrestleNomics Radio. Lucha of a Hidden Temple, if that's Lucha your thing. Lucha of a Hidden Temple, <laughs> yes. Everything's on there. Every, more podcasts than you could shake a stick at. <laughs> uh, to use an old-timey British phrase. Um, you can follow me at the R-double. That's T-H-E-R-D-O-U-B-L-E. You can read Ollie's stuff on figure4wrestling.com which I will let you plug because you're far better at doing than me. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Euro notes in the newsletter F4W every week. And also you can follow me on Twitter at AnotherOlly, if you please. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, typically, because I have made a return, this show has gone over the two-hour mark. Although it may edit down very slightly under it, but it's probably going over. I think we'll clear it. Especially as I continue to ramble and not end the podcast. <laughs> so um, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you again in two weeks after uh, Project Mayhem. 
and we'll be previewing then uh, Tag League, which all three of us are going to, so that'll be fun to preview. I'll just be very excited about Tag League, yeah. WXW. Yeah, um, if you also plan to go to that, uh, let us know, and we can be excited together. Um, yeah, thanks for listening everybody, and see you next time. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery.